Chris, Jared, thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here. Is this the fight night? Hey, no, no, no. So before we get in, listen, before we get into this, uh, there's a local show coming in a couple months. I'll come out of retirement to fight. I'll fight you at a catch weight, 225. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was going to manage it. Yeah. Let me know. I'll fight night, you. I'll fight you. Venue. I'll fight you at a catch weight. I know the promoter. We could make that, I'll fight amateur rules, so you get, there's certain, like, no kicking to the face and stuff like that, so. At least uh, not intentionally. Yeah, yeah. He's got to get yeah. to 225? Yeah, he's got to get to 225. I'll so meet you to catch beef, me. man. Like, the only way I'm winning that thing is fighting dirty, so. <laughs> okay. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what, which part of it, are you dirty with dirty? Yeah. I, no, no, I'll fight within the a confines two, of the rule. A 225 dirty versus <laughs> All a, it's, one. 70, 170. Oh, man. Yeah, you're dead. <laughs> like I said, uh, don't tune in to that pay-per-view event. because No, do. It won't it's be worth your money. <laughs> Make a t-shirt out of it. Yeah. I got it. Yeah, like like a wrestling. It'd be like a wrestling match. The Like the WWE, pick him up. No, no, he he's still, look, his arm is moving. <laughs> like his arm is moving. He's still alive. He's still okay. So... It's the first white flag I've ever seen in the ring. <laughs> Anyways, it's good to have you guys here. Um, you know, it's going to be an interesting topic. It's, a, it's kind of a heavy topic as far as all of us have kids. All of us have kids uh, in school. And, um, you know, this kind of comes on the heels of the Uvalde uh, incident. Um, we plan on doing an active shooter um, type podcast at some point before anyways we talked a while ago about doing it yeah i don't know that we've ever gone in depth it's about time we do yeah and it's you know our agency specifically is getting ready to do their training this next week on on this topic um but before we kind of get going um you know it's still early in the investigation i know a week and a half or so seems like that's forever but especially in big incidents like this it still is early to start casting stones aggressively like we know everything we don't know everything yet but there is some stuff that's been put out that is fairly consistent what's like a medium throw maybe not like aggressively but yeah there's there's definitely enough to be asking some serious questions we've got some questions we i mean you and i were texting back and forth no we were talking on the phone Mm -hmm. and you had mentioned some of the information that was coming out there was a lot of flip-flopping of information, and we want to be able to clear up that misinformation, even disinformation that's out there. Yep. So I'm going to real quick go over the timeline for this Uvalde incident that's been um, put out. Uh, multiple media sources have the same timeline, so this I, I feel like it's fairly factual-based. Um, and uh, so, and if you guys have anything, just, just pipe in. Um, but basically, this all starts um, sometime after 11 a.m. Um, Ramos, that's the suspect, he shot his grandmother in the face. Um, he runs out of the house um, and takes off in his vehicle at about 11.27 at the school. Um, 
where this all occurred, there's a teacher um, that props a door open, goes out to get something out of a car, and, you know. I believe they said it was a cell phone. Yeah, it was a cell phone. cell phone. Kind of going on a small tangent. That's not super uncommon for someone to make a decision to, I just got to grab something real quick, prop the door type thing. Oh, I forgot. My cell phone in the car. Yeah. Loved one's wife, whoever. Downfall with this one is the teacher does return, um, but she does not, um, well, the teacher does not uh, re-secure that door. At 11.28, Ramos uh, crashes his pickup truck in the drainage ditch near the school. Um, There's a couple people that exit a mortuary that is right next to um, where that collision or that uh, accident occurred. Uh, They go out to go see what's going on. and Ramos shoots at these two individuals. Um, they run away, get back to the funeral home. One falls. Neither of them were injured as a result, and they were both able to get back into the funeral home. At this point, uh, the first 911 call is made by a teacher. Um, she emerges from the school, and she calls 911 to report the accident and a man with a gun. Um, and again, timeline-wise, that's at 11.30 a.m. Uh, 11.31, Ramos begins shooting at the school. Um, He's in the school parking lot. Um, Police cars begin to arrive at the funeral home. um, And Ramos then makes his way around the school building. Um, And this is kind of where we get into the whole flip-flopping information. There was a while there where there was comments made that he got into a firefight with a security officer, a school resource officer. It It was so back and forth. As he entered the school. Well, this clarifies it. The school district police officer who was working that day wasn't on campus around this time, contrary to previous reports. The officer uh, drove to the school immediately after getting the 911 call and approaches someone at the back of the school who he thought was the gunman. As the officer sped towards that man, who turned out to be a teacher, um, he drove right by the suspect who was hunkered down by a vehicle at that time. At 11.32, Ramos fires multiple shots at the school and makes his way towards the open door. At 11.33 a.m., five minutes after he crashed his pickup, Ramos enters the school and begins to shoot into the two adjoining rooms, uh, rooms 111 and 112. He fires more than 100 rounds. At 11.35 a.m., three city officers enter the school through the same door that Ramos used and are later followed by four more officers putting a total of seven officers inside the building. Two officers receive grazing wounds from Ramos. At 11.37, the gunfire continues with 16 rounds being shot in total. It's unclear who fired the shots. Again, it's still early in the investigation to really start piecing all of that together. At 11.51 a.m., a police sergeant and other law enforcement uh, begin to arrive. Typically, what they mean by other law enforcement is... Um, different agencies, those Everybody. types of things. Yep. Everybody's coming to these. Yep. 12.03 p.m., and this is where it kind of gets a little little harder um, with the facts that come out. A female unknown age calls 911 and whispers that she's in classroom 112. The call lasts a minute 23. Officers continue to enter the school with as many as 19 officers in the hallway near the room where Ramos is holed up. 12.06, Anne-Marie Espinoza a spokeswoman for the Uvalde Consolidated Independent School District, posts uh, on the district's Facebook page. Um, All campuses are under lockdown status. 
She says, please know at this time all campuses are under a lockdown status due to gunshots in the area. The students and staff are safe in the buildings. The buildings are secure in a lockdown status. Your cooperation is needed at this time by not visiting the campus. As soon as lockdown status is lifted, you will be notified. Thanks for your cooperation. At 12.10 p.m., the female who called in earlier at 12.03 calls 911 again and says there's multiple dead. She calls again at 12.13 and then again at 12.16 when she says there are eight to nine students still alive. 12.10 p.m., the first group of deputy U.S. marshals from Del Rio arrive from nearly 70 miles away to assist with the other law enforcement agencies already on scene. 12.15 p.m., U.S. Border Patrol tactical team members arrive with a shield. 12.19 p.m., another girl in another room, well, in room 111, calls 911 and ends the call when a fellow student tells her to hang up. 12.21 p.m., Ramos fires his gun again. And this is kind of an important aspect to this whole timeline. So he fires his gun again, and officers believe he's... Um, at one of the doors of the classrooms, 111 or 112. Police move down the hallway. 12.21 p.m., three shots can be heard during a 911 call. Around this team, police are stuck in the hallway because both classroom doors are locked and they must seek a key from a school employee. 12.36 p.m., child calls 911 for 21 seconds. Around this time, a girl calls 911 and is told to stay on the line. And stay very quiet. The girl says, um, he shoot the door. 12.43 p.m., the police urges, the girl urges 911 dispatcher to please send police in now. 12.46 p.m., the girl says, she can hear police next door. 12.47 p.m., she again asks for police, uh, please send police now. 12.50 p.m., officers open the door with the key from the school employee and enter the classroom and kill Ramos. 12.51 p.m., officers can be heard moving children out of the room. 12.58 p.m., law enforcement radio chatter says Ramos has been killed and the siege is over. So they open the door at 12.50, and that is, let's see. Almost an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, that's... Later. Yep, that is uh, 1128 is when he crashed. And uh, when he first starts shooting at the school is 1131. So that's a very long time. Anyways, we thought we would give you that timeline first. Thank you for bearing with me. But um, I think it's important that we kind of get that information out before we kind of go into what we're going to talk about about this. I think there's some information that obviously that needs to come out, obviously based off of that that timeline um, that we're still waiting to see, right? Obviously, it seems like officers did enter the school, exchanged gunfire, or were at least fired upon. Um, and then from there, I guess the, it's we're missing a ton. Like, what is really going on? Has it, do they feel that it's changed to a hostage barricade? Is it still an active shooter? It's, uh, I don't know. And like I said, I think there's still a ton of information that needs to come from this. Uh, before we get yeah, we way, do, way too far We do have some away. information. We, uh, the, the chief of police for that school district, and it's, it's a police department of six people. He was incident command at the time, and there, there's reports that he made the call that uh, the life-taking had ceased, and it turned into a barricaded situation, and he called 
his officers off. Um, that's where a lot of criticism and a lot of uh, backlash is coming. This this uh, chief, you, Kim, you have it up right now. I'm trying to find his name. I should have had that ready. I don't have his name up right now. No. So why I pull that up? So there is that information. We we know from the timeline and the initial information that was given. You have three officers that initially went in. Right. And, and, then the- and two of them got grazed. And so they, they immediately had contact with the suspect. So we do know that. We had a team of three. Um, where they backed off, where they held position, that's the information we don't know. Right. I think there, there's a lot. So the timeline's been given by the Texas authorities, and we have little bits and pieces. And the problem with little bits and pieces is where the public is able to come in and start filling it in with their own opinions without having the facts. We know at at some point after those two officers were shot, grazed, most of the reports that I read, and there was multiple, it it said grazed, what that means and how bad the injuries were, I I don't know. Where they, they positioned themselves, I don't know. But I think we had four more arrive yeah, on scene, total. correct? So now we had seven officers that were in the hallway. Who had eyes on? Did they retreat to a point where they lost uh, eyesight of the suspect? You know, because you had contact with him. Right. You know you did because he shot at two of you. Four more come in. Um, are they tending to the two officers? Did they get those two officers out? Did the other five position while they were helping the two? We, that's the information right. that we don't know. Because right? I think there's a, I think there is a, a very distinct difference, um, as as we know, between an active shooting or active killing, and as opposed to a hostage barricade. And so, again, if you're talking of a of a department with six, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's a pretty small department. So you're going to run out of manpower instantaneously for an incident like this. You are. You are already behind the eight ball for a police department of six for a mass casualty type incident like this. So, right. and that's why I said, and so if you're starting to look at what the timeline really is, where it, these things are key to really understand. Cause we all, I mean, we probably are going to be a little critical of the, of the departments and, and the officers there, but I think we have to understand what are we looking at? What is really happening? Are those, uh, you know, did the, First initial part of that, uh, the killing of those of those young kids, happened right on the onset, right, and and so now they have engaged that suspect. That suspect has, uh, they have his attention, and are they continuing on? You know, back and forth. I don't know. Again, that kind of information is probably pretty key to come out at some point to really understand it, but also at some point you really have to. You know, if you've got so many law enforcement agencies on scene, make a plan and, and and resolve this issue as quickly as you can and not let it drag. So that's kind of my issue with this one is um, where, you know, they they go in, you know, where you're coming from with we get that 911 call to a family fight and there's even say multiple callers and they hear shots fired in this house. We get there. It's dead silent. All right. Now we come up with a plan for me, an active shooter situation at a school or something like that. How, do we have people bleeding out? Stuff like, what are we dealing with? Um, do we treat it like a, a typical barricaded subject? And, the, and that's the, that's what we don't, 
yeah. know what they were thinking of, what information well, did even, they have, and, and do you ever even treat if they it like do, that, even right? if they do. At twelve twenty one, there's four shots fired. More. Yeah. If it's a right. typical yeah. barricade no, situation, you're going. Yeah, you're one hundred percent. You're gone. Yeah. Even if you're barricaded. Once you hear gunfire that doesn't come from you, you go. you're going. You gotta so. go. Peter Arradondo, so Chief Arradondo, he's the uh, chief of police of that school district, and it's a it's a small one. So, uh, what we have as as maybe a, a sergeant over our SROs. Right. You know. So that's a so that's the school district police, not the local police. That, okay. is the, that is the school district police. And, and obviously being at a school, maybe that's where they, they went with the uh, incident command. I have no information as to where this chief of police was, how close he was, how long did it take for him to get on scene? Was he on scene when this information was given? This is the portion where, even from a law enforcement standpoint, the public has a right to know. The public has a right to know what did you know and and. Minus the, the, what, couple times that he addressed the media on the day that the incident happened, he's, he's been uh, missing in action. And, and that could be because of all the backlash that he is personally receiving. And in addition to that, all the other uh, major uh, federal agencies and other agencies that arrived on scene to participate in this investigation, he's probably taken a back seat. But the public has a right to know when you are the incident commander at the incident command during a major incident like this, and you have made a decision to hold your guys back and give the stop, stop pushing, stop moving forward, especially with the loss of life. And especially with the timeline with other shots ringing out. I, I personally believe you, you have to come forward and say, what information did you have? You have to be transparent with it. Yeah. It'd be nice to know too. Like, you know, at one point, this timeline didn't break it down, but it is confirmed that they, when they were in there and they took shots, they believed he was bunkered down, um, holed up into that room. They were evacuating kids from other classrooms and stuff. So they were at least comfortable enough that they believed they had him holed up there. So I can't hate 100% on them, you know, and the officers are doing, you know, it sounds like trying to do what at least they're trained to do. And we, that's yeah. part of the issue too. We don't know everyone's training. Everyone's training yeah. is different, but, um, and this is a small agency and we've talked about this before, Jared, you've been on with us and, and Chris, we've harped on, on proper training and training and training and training. And it's not just going through these, what yearly trainings. I mean, we go through a yearly active shooter training, um, but you can't just, it can't just be a one-time thing or, or an annual thing. You have to have mental repetitions and so this is the portion where we harp and we ask our, our law enforcement listeners, make sure that you're doing that. Make sure that your agencies are training. Make sure that you guys are putting into your training um, worst case scenario type things. Because if you go off of percentages, the highest of percentages, you're never going to be involved with this type of an incident if you're a law enforcement officer. But if you train for the worst, you'll be prepared for the worst. And that comes with mental repetition because you're not always going to have the opportunity to go through active shooter training on a weekly basis. Right. Yeah. You, you have to, you have to mentally prepare for it over and over again. What am I going to do? You know, and, and understanding what do I go in this door? Do I go in the front door. Do I go in a, a side door. You know, how do I get, get to where I believe that they are? Do I know the layout of my building? Um, all of those are key factors in, in knowing uh, how to respond to an incident like this. And sometimes it's just grabbing that uh, that three pound piece of iron and just 
work, trying to find it and, and going after it. So go find work. Yeah. No. And, and with these situations, you know, we've talked about, you know, were they thinking this is a hostage barricaded situation? And this is, this is much different than what you, Cam, you brought it up. If we're responding to a family fight, suspect in that family fight retreats into the house and he's got his family in there. It's a different situation than you have an active gunman in a large open area, public area, whether, you know, in this case it's a school, but whether it's an office building, a, a mall, a school, that changes your tactics. It changes how you respond to these situations. Obviously, we don't know all the information. And so, I mean, we're just going off of what we do know. Um, it would be really nice to know what this chief of police or the commander or whatever they, they're designating uh, him as. You know, what were you thinking in this situation where you're standing outside this hallway? You, you have an idea where he's at. And is it because you've already taken fire that you're scared to go in? Are you trying to formulate this plan? Think, what do we do? You know, something me and Matt went to the academy together and in our defensive tactics training, one of our instructors talked to us for quite a while about mindset and having the right mindset for this job. And it's never, never left me because it's, it's really formulated who I am and how I perceive my job. But in one of our, in one of those conversations, he brought up, look, you have to be prepared to die every day you go to work because you just don't know. You don't know if we're going to respond to this type of situation. And you've got kids in this classroom with a gunman. I'm going in. And if I take rounds, I take rounds. That's the decision I've made. And, and my family knows that's the decision I made because in order to stop that killing or to stop that threat, that may be what it takes. And you don't have the luxury of sitting back and formulating that plan for a hostage situation. He hasn't made demands. He hasn't, he's not, you know, on the phone saying, I've got all these kids and if you enter, I'm going to start killing them. And this is what I want. He's already shot at people from the get-go. This is an active shooter situation. At that point, if there's not active killing, there's not active shots being fired, okay, we slow it down a little bit and it changes how we respond but we don't completely your movements stop. change. Yes. Your, your movements change, but it, you don't your, your mentality should not change. Hold up in a, a hallway and try to formulate a plan. That plan should have already been formulated. The active shooter response is a nationwide model. Every police department should be should be hopefully adopting that model. Adopting this model hopefully and training have. on that. And part of that is that that mindset. You understand that if you're that first officer on scene, if 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 you're not right. And, and you haven't made that decision that I'm okay if if I go down in this fight, this is my day. You have to make that decision before you ever go to work. That if you're responding to this type of scenario and you're that first one through the door, understand it may be your time. Yeah, let's piggyback off a couple of your comments there because I've been doing a lot of reading with multiple art, uh, multiple articles concerning this incident. I mean, obviously it's, it's the topic that was back to back with what happened over in B Buffalo, mm -hmm. but you mentioned mentality and, and I remember that um, instructor and I remember the instruction that he gave and we've worked closely together. Jared, you and I have worked closely together. We, we, every single one of us uh, minus me being a former, 
has worked on SWAT in the, in the mentality that they, they kind of plaster into you with the training about action, go find work, make sure that you don't let the situation grow, make sure the priorities of life are there. But many of the comments that are in there, right, wrong, or indifferent, Cam, we touched upon it uh, not too long ago, but the, the mentality of new officers coming in, mm-hmm. thinking that you can always talk people down, you can always be uh, peace lovers, and, and that there's always going to be an opportunity to talk someone down from a situation, and we know that is not accurate, which is why we have to have the mentality to act when... The training kicks in, you know that it kicks in because your adrenaline's up and then you start acting off of the training that you've had previously. But comment after comment after comment that I've been listening to in these articles, so much uh, disgust and hate toward law enforcement for the inactivity of the uh, first responding officers. And we still need that more information like like Jared had mentioned earlier. But I'm not going to say that these people are wrong. I'm not going to say that the public in demanding that their officers in the worst case scenario are willing to go in there for children, whether it's yours or not. Because one of the comments that they had was, you mentioned it, some mm-hmm. of the comments that you read, I've also read those. Well, these officers have a right to self-preservation as well. I disagree with that. 100% I disagree with that. You have found the wrong profession if you believe that in the worst case scenario, you are not willing to go in. Well, let me piggyback on that real quick. On So this is, um, this is the active shooter guidelines in the state of Texas. Um, so all law enforcement officers in Texas are trained to move in and confront the attacker according to the active shooter guidelines in the state's Commission of Law Enforcement 2020 training manual. As first responders, we must recognize that innocent life must be defended. The manual says a first responder unwilling to place the lives of innocents above uh, their own safety should consider another career field. Anyone disagree with that? Straight Uh, from from, from Texas. That's like from a manual, but nationwide. Yeah. Nationwide. I would priorities of life. They're the same across the nation. We've talked about the priorities of life uh, in previous episodes, but for those uh, that don't know your, your in in this type of situation is going to be your victims. It's going to be those little children are at the very, very top. The priorities of life speaks for itself. I mean, that is exactly what law enforcement is taught is there is a, a list of who is the most important right now. And believe it or not, officers are third. Mm-hmm. Third on that four list. And the only one that we put below us is the shooter. Yeah, it's a bad guy. It's the so, suspect. So for you guys to understand, for those priorities of life, it's, you know, those those little, in this situation, it's the little kids, those are the victims. Then you have the innocents. That's going to be kind of like that public gathering around the school. Then it's officers. Then suspects it's the suspect. last. Yeah. And and I know, Chris, you kind of hit on some of the things on on what was happening. And this is where I want to kind of get that information. So, yeah, active shooter. This chief, for whatever reason, decides that this is now moving to a barricade situation. That's kind of where I off of what you're saying, Jared, on the, the more information. What was going on to make him him think that? I know that what they called they negotiators in. Yeah. Did they feel like they were getting conversation? If they did, one of the first thing they should be doing is any wounded we need. 
you need to show some sort of confidence that we're having a good dialogue here. I need all wounded out of there or whatever. But it's it's very interesting if that's the route you're going to go. It it probably should be very quick, fast, and, and it's got to really be quick, fast, fast because yeah. you you have to keep that suspect's attention off of those kids. Yep. That's why they push us so hard. You go in, you go with force, and you go hard. Yep. Hundred percent. And you go and you seek and destroy, and you take the attention off those innocents. You take the attention off those kids, and you put it on yourself. And any badge that's out there that chooses to stay on the outside, you shouldn't have a badge. And I think too is is planning too. If you if you do, like I said, if, if they are talking with him, are they are they formulating a plan? Because from according to the timeline, their first initial um, attempt at the at the door was it was locked. They had to mm-hmm. seek a key from from an employee. And it, both rooms in question, 111, 112, were both right. locked. And so and, and one rightfully so because the teacher probably locked it down. The right. other one is where the suspect was, but I think that he was spraying uh, through the walls as well. Right. But and part of that is we get that key. Where is that key? That key needs to be I want that key in my hand at the at the moment I arrive. And if my guys don't have it, we need to get it immediately, not not make an attempt at the door and then not, or have a plan in place to breach the door. And so yeah, where's that key? Like yeah. get it to me 30 minutes ago. Yeah. And if it is yeah. the, the chief of police for that school district is there formulating that plan. How does he not have a key already? Yeah. Well, you'd be surprised. So <laughs> you'd be 12, surprised. 1221. Knocks is, that one up. We're going to be talking about that one. Yeah. Right? Like that's a, huh? You'd be surprised. Yeah. Okay. 1221 is when they request the key. So again, he starts shooting at the school at eleven thirty-one. Twelve fifty minutes in. Twelve twenty-one is when they request the key, 50 or minutes. they realize that they can't enter the room because of the doors locked. And at twelve fifty is when they finally unlock the door of the key. So that this this is where we're we're like yearning for the information to be filled into those gaps because whatever information got back to this chief of police and the decision that he made to hold it up. What did they did they move in as a team? Right. Are there windows on these doors? Were they able to see in? Who went up and checked that these doors what kind were of locked? Door is and, this and, you know what I mean? And are yeah. we talking inward swing? Are we talking outward swing? We talk, there's so many things from a law enforcement standpoint like we want to know because we know how we would take care of it if. Well, school doors are pretty heavy duty for the no most standard. part. Most schools I've been to, um, but I don't know. Things. I don't know that I'm going to let a lock. Um, get in my way for absolutely know, that that period of time. No, no, no sledgehammer, no, no. Yeah. and and for officers listening in, these are things for you to think about too. Before before uh, my my current role, I had my own sledgehammer um, and ways to defeat stuff. Now I'm not saying I'm going to be able to bust the door right away, but I'll take some good swings and then rotate it, and we'll we'll get through that door at some point if Lowe's we don't or, have a key. Go Lowe's or Home Depot. Well, they both had like the military Ace? discount, so you know I'm good either like place. He went, he went, <laughs> either one. Either works. way, you just made sure it was heavy yeah. duty. I got you. Yeah, he's a Lowe's guy. I just wanted. You guys didn't know that. No, I digress. No, I think trying to get through and and understanding that and and uh, looking at uh, Uvalde, they're not a very big police department either. So they're about a forty man, forty officer. It's a smaller. So town. you're probably yeah. with about sixteen thousand population. So you're looking at a fairly. I mean, actually, I would probably say that's about average uh, for police departments across the nation is about 40. So they're they're right in line there. But uh, again, an incident like this, it can chew up 
people really, really fast. And again, then now you also have to take on the, the responsibility of outside agencies. Have you trained? Do you have, um, things in place? We, we recently had an incident that, uh, that we found out that we can't all talk to all the people that we need to in a critical moment that we need to talk to them. And so you have to, crazy. are you training with those other agencies? Have you had that conversation with your local um, federal agencies about, Hey, if we do have an incident, this is, this is the, the radio channel. We need you guys to come on. Yeah. Don't go Rambo. Yeah. Yeah, It just creates more issues. Cause it just, and there's, and like I said, these, these incidents are going to bring out everybody. And when we say everybody, we mean everybody, everybody who has a radio, a, a cell phone, you're going to have paramedics. You're going to have firefighters. You're going to have the news people. You, every, when you say everybody, you're going to have everybody. Parents. Parents. So, and again, you're going to, so how do you coordinate all of this? And really it's, it's really difficult when you start not having, when you don't have a plan. And even Mm. if you do have a plan, that plan can go to hell uh, real quick. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. all of these things have to be considered because I mean, we've had, We've had our fair share of incidents with ours where we've had everybody show up and and they're, are we able to talk to so-and-so, you know, so-and-so is able to get this asset, but how can we coordinate that if we are the, the department that's, uh, you know, running the incident as, as an incident commander or stuff like that. So there's always the logistics part of this is, is always difficult, especially with, um, different agencies. So again, it's, does everyone know their role? And it's it's important for our listeners to understand when we like we're not just speaking it because we're able to get behind. It. We're fortunate that we are just in front of a mic right now, and our agency isn't the one answering for what right. occurred. Yeah. That that's the fortunate thing, but we can learn from it. And just so everyone that's listening to us now, what Jared was talking about, we do put on an annual active shooter training as a department. With that, we invite other agencies. And when I say other agencies, the firefighters, do they know their role? Paramedics, do they know their role? We have had them come in and participate with active shooter training with us. We've had our college uh, police department come and train with us. We've had adjoining agencies come and train with us. We have invited these individuals because when push comes to shove, you have to be able to communicate I went through scenarios with uh, FBI tactical guys because we invited them. HSI tactical guys because we invited them. Every local agency or any agency within your area that you can include within these is what you're talking about. Does everyone know their responsibility? Can you move together? Are you going to be on the same tactical language? Right. Or just even on the same radio channel, something so simple and so, right. so uh, minute, but it's so critical to have everybody op- operating off of one yeah. channel, one place. So all the information is not being relayed in, you know, if it's a cell phone going through dispatch or if it's a dispatch center that's not in your area because you're being dispatched by uh, another agency, something like that. I mean... Again, these are things that we face, but again, some somewhere somehow you've got to you've got to go to work. You've got to go in there and 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 do what you signed up to do. Yeah, and and with going back to the training thing, we have uh, received information. We read that Uvalde went through their own active shooter training very recently, actually before this occurred in the same school. Yeah, right? it was in the same school. Um, it sounds like within a month. 
um, active shooter training. And that kind of goes into what all, all three of you have been saying as far as so. And in 2018, their their PD posted all of their officers in tactical active shooter kits. So they've so got they they've check, got some equipment. Check. They've been yeah. to the training. Check. But I think one thing that you brought up and we brought it up as the mindset of officers, are they willing to go in there type thing? I think part of it, too, is the mindset, will this ever happen to us? Mm-hmm. How serious do they take? And I've dealt with it. I'm I'm an instructor in firearms. Jared's an instructor in DT. And, and you'll deal with, or EVO, and you'll deal with those officers. You can tell just don't care. They're not putting forth effort. So what? Another training day. Did they, a, yeah. Did they, day. did they yeah. take active shooter very serious when they went through it? Um, did they think about stuff like, what do we do when we come to a door that's locked? All of these things, you know, if they had answered those questions before, maybe this goes smoother. Maybe it did. And Mental like Jared said, that stuff, yeah. that stuff, you know, for anyone who hasn't been in a very high stress situation, it's called the fog of war. And it's a very real thing. So I'm not trying to say that these officers did not prepare because we don't know a lot of the details yet. But I do know from experience that there are plenty of officers that aren't putting forth the effort. Like, this will never happen to us. Why are we training yeah. for this? So on and so forth. Who's heard of yeah. Sandy Hook before their incident? Who's heard of Columbine? And I want to give credit where credit's due. The first responding three, they went in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they did. They did. They went in because two were shot. So I don't want to. I don't want our listeners to think that that we're just absolutely slaying the responding officers here. My question comes afterward. What happened afterwards? Yeah. You have two that were shot. That is going to happen. That is going to happen. And and typically we know that when you're first on scene and you're about ready to engage an active shooter, a lot of times it could be a suicide mission. It could be where you are going in taking the attention off. You could be the one that's uh, mortally wounded it's because you don't you don't know you're trying to you're trying to locate that person. So if exactly. they know where they are and they know that you're there, which in most cases they you're probably at a disadvantage. will, because you're at a disadvantage. Until we know where you are, then you you kind of have the yeah. upper hand. Until we and once we get a lock on you, then that's generally when we start. You know that's when we start to resolve these issues. But it, until then, it, it's a you know it's a, a seek out and try to find where people are at type mission so yeah and and that's the selfish part of me i mean that's not just from a curiosity standpoint law enforcement because we understand how these things work i want to know what happened afterward yeah absolutely i want to know after those two were initially wounded what happened with staying back instead of pushing forward and i'm curious if if that played a role in the chief's decision to hold back then now you have two wounded officers you're dealing with that you've You've probably never dealt with a situation like that before. Kudos to those officers for doing their job and wish them a speedy recovery and get Absolutely. back to the good fight. But how much did that play a role into it as far as, well, he's in here and he just shot two of our own. Or, you know, what, what do we do from here? And going back to your earlier comment about self-preservation, absolutely, officers have a right to self-preservation in most scenarios. This scenario... I mean, if you ask any any civilian, anybody uh, in, in the United States, what's the, the worst thing that you could think of that could happen? I think most people are going to say something happening in a school, you know, an elementary school. Yeah, absolutely. At that. Um, your worst nightmare, the, the country's worst nightmare is unfolding right now. 
And you, unfortunately, like we said, officers are, are going to get shot. There's a good chance that an officer could lose his life in trying to resolve this situation. And, and that you have to have that mindset that that's, that's going to, that's, that's, um, the, those, those are the risks that we have. To Lives take. are up there. And when I go back and I say, you should not be putting a badge on, it is for these worst case scenarios. It is for the children or for innocence where life is being lost. You think I'm going to take a bullet for your, your mountain bike? No, man, think again. <laughs> for the dope that we've been working for a month, you know, in the dope house. And, and yeah, they have an opportunity to flush it away or burn it before, you know, we actually get inside the house. No, I'm not, I'm not willing to take a bullet for that. And so tactically, we, we pick our battles, mm-hmm. right? But when it comes to innocence and be, it, when it comes to the priorities of life, I'm, I'm sorry. You took an oath where you realize that badge means a little bit more than the loss of life. Well, for, for officers listening, an active shooter in general, that, the mindset of being able to self-preservate, that that's, should be out the window. Mm-hmm. I mean, just I think it was 10 days before this shooting, there was the one in, uh, at the market. In Buffalo. And, mm-hmm. you know, that same, same situation. Now we're just dealing with public people that are at the grocery store. Again, you have to get there. Because if you don't, who comes? Uh, uh, right. Military can't come. No. You know, it's law enforcement. It's us. That is Or you're going to have some you. very brave citizens who are concealed carry, which we obviously have. Uh, I think people need to be paying attention to more and more of those stories because they happen quite often. But to your point, nobody else is coming. Yeah, the, pu- it, the puck has stopped. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't give it to somebody else. When you put the badge on, you know that you're responding, running to it where other people are running away from it. Absolutely. If not us, then who? At the end, who and if it's not us, then who? Then somebody's got to. At some point, somebody's got to. So, you know, we have the hopefully the training, the equipment, and the uh, the resolve to go in there and and put an end to it and resolve that situation, even if it's uh, if it's not advantageous for us, right? It's not the most of the time. It's not. Yeah, and, and you, it's not and going you know to be. But not. we, but we still go. Advantage. So, and and it's important to go. Like I said, I'm 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 really interested in seeing when this thing finally, you know, all the, the investigation details. is completed, all of the details come out, the interviews with officers on scene have all been conducted, and, and everything is now there's light shed on every aspect of this thing. I'm curious to see how and why it played out the way it did. Um, and going here. back to what I said, I I vary right there with you. I want to know. Curiosity is killing me. I want to know the fine details. I mean, that's the, the former detective in me where I, I, I ran with the cases and I knew all the details along the way. But I think uh, with these types of situations, we're, we're past not being uh, transparent with these things. We, we, as a community, have a right to know what happened because we learn from it. I mean, it's not just the agencies. In other locales, I mean, it, it is as a human, like what, what, what can I look for when I go to a school? What can I look for to ensure that when my kids are sitting in a classroom, I don't have to sit there and, and fear that something like this is going to happen to them. I mean, we have a right to know. And that's where I'm waiting for that transparency. Going back to earlier where I said that a lot of comments are out there 
um, especially with these news articles on social media, people are up in arms about it. And they demand more from law enforcement. And I'm going to take, I, I, I'm going to take issue with the officers and people who are, are defending officers of inaction. Yeah. I think the public has a right to expect that, especially within these types of situations. We are the ones that are trained. We are the ones with the weaponry to be able to go in and, and take action and save lives. Especially with the timeline on this one. I mean, it, it was over an hour before you, you confronted the gunman. And there was a lot that went on during that time frame that, that should have elicited a response from the officers in that hallway, you know, right from the get go. Like, I mean, we've talked about it over and over today, but right from the get go, you get officers shot. Um, you know, he's in that building. You, it's an elementary school. There, there are kids in that school anywhere he's going to go. And so it's, it's a priority to locate him and, and neutralize that threat. And I get like, okay, we've got locked doors. I mean, it sounds like they, they, they pinpointed him to those rooms and you have locked doors. So he said, you've got to have a plan already in place to be able to defeat a, a locked door, uh, whatever kind of locked door that is, and quickly in a scenario like this. But at the same time, shots were fired while they were there. And then you have children in that room calling, please send police, Multiple please send times. police. Like, like I said, it, it was... I really want to know. I really want the details to come out because it's it's killing me listening to that timeline and everything that happened. Why did you do what you did? I'm, I'm hoping maybe we can do a follow-up uh, episode once that, that info, information does come out. You guys are good. Let's pivot a little bit. Talk about um, we've got Jared here, who is the supervisor over our, our school resource officers. Kind of walk through. We talked about a lockdown kind of break down what what is it that parents can expect for their kids if uh, that happens so and you're, you're going to address this key thing we're going to go back to this key thing because you met okay, okay. that's fair yeah uh no so uh, you know a lockdown is basically uh for us it's when they we've got a threat inside of a building right so we're not necessarily trying to keep something out of the building it's already inside so now how do we keep it from uh growing and basically keeping it out of classrooms we want to keep that person into a hallway uh, a commons area, something like that. We don't want them to get into a classroom. So uh, we lock and secure the doors uh, inside of those buildings, move kids to an interior wall, hopefully so that they are, you know, because schools are, schools are built like hospitals. So they're meant not to catch on fire. So it's a what good, do you, well, it's a good thing. So what do you yeah. build uh, stuff that doesn't catch on fire, right? Bricks, cement, rebar, all that stuff. And so um, that's, uh, so we try to put, uh, those kids into a position and, and those adults into a position that they can't be seen and can't be accessed um, without some sort of real physical effort to get into that, into that classroom. Now we run into uh, problems. No, I'm not going to say problems. So we fight an uphill battle because, um, and I'm, I can't speak for Texas. I can only speak for, for where we're at in our state, but uh, right. So uh, fire code requires those doors to be unlocked uh, during mm -hmm. the day. And so that's always something that we are always in a constant uh, uh, battle with. Not that classroom doors, classroom doors, right? Uh, classroom doors are to be unlocked during school days and school hours while kids are in, in class. And so 
we try to make compromises and work with it. And, and luckily our, our fire marshal, um, does pretty well with working with us at least. Uh, and that's all I can speak for is with us. Um, you know, they, they always talk to us about it, but, uh, again, at the end of the day, what are we looking for again? Are we worried? Uh, there hasn't been a, a school age kid that's died in a school related fire since 1940, 1950s, somewhere in there. So somewhere in the 1940s or 1950s was the last time we lost a student to a school fire. So nationwide, nationwide. Yep. So mm-hmm. what do we need to do? How do we, how do we resolve these issues? How do we secure our buildings? And these are tough issues because, um, elementary schools, um, and some of the, the smaller schools are a little bit easier, um, to do because they're all contained into one building. Um, but if you look at our, like our high schools here, our high schools have multiple outbuildings, multiple buildings in which students move in between all day long. And so, how do we secure those buildings and, you know, what do we need to do to make sure that those buildings are secured as well? And those are some of the issues that we face um, here just for us in our, in our local agency is how do we do this and how do we do it safely and how do we let the kids move and feel like that they're not, you know, they're not coming to school inside of barbed wire, you know, right. razor fenced, you know, they're not being going through metal detectors and having to wear uh, clear backpacks, all of that stuff that, there's a lot of school, um, there's a lot of schools around the country that do that, you know, especially those that are in high crime areas there. You walk through, you get it's searched. Yeah. It, yeah, it's we, through, uh, you know, you go through multiple security points, you know, stuff like that. So I don't know. This is a tough one. These are always, uh, always issues because, um, you know, there are people, evil is always going to attack uh, the, the, the most vulnerable. And unfortunately, our elementary schools are our most vulnerable points, you know, because it's got the most vulnerable um, people in it. So that's where evil is always going to look. What about exterior doors? So exterior doors. uh, So for us, we try to make sure that it's just the single door in. So the front door that goes in um, so that somebody has to lay eyes on you as you walk into that building. So a lot of our elementary schools, so with our district, we try to funnel. Yes. We try to 100%. Funnel in, we try to funnel, funnel in, out. funnel in, funnel out. And, uh, and so our district, uh, took a proactive measure a few years ago. And, uh, I believe most, I don't know if it's all, um, but I believe most of the elementary schools in our district actually have two sets of doors. So one door yeah. is open access to the, you know, for the public to come in. And then um, there's a second set of security doors that are locked and you have to be buzzed through by a yeah, the buzz in buzz out yeah by a secretary. So uh, again, that's for most of our um, uh, elementary schools. Uh, some of our, most of our, actually all of our intermediate schools, uh, some of our middle schools, and then our high schools are still, still open because it's just, like I said, it's just not feasible. There's, there's multiple doors to be able to access most of our high schools um, just because of kids moving or moving about the, the buildings during the day, right? You have, you may have classes, you have English class in the main building, but you have um, auto shop at the, the shop building and stuff like that. So PE at the gym building. So that's always the tough one. Our high schools are always our tough ones. I think that's the best approach to it. I, I, the best that we can do, I think, as a society and nationwide, every school district is to funnel in, funnel out. Now, you mentioned, so here, here's the part where, bear with us, and we, we probably will go longer this episode, but I, I think that this is truly, truly important, and I wanted to touch upon this. 
because everything that you're talking about are security measures that were put into place. It was, it was uh, what you describe as our school district made a, a conscious decision. Mm-hmm. This is, this is how, and it, it, our protocol, this is what we're going to do for the safety of our kids. And I've noticed it because when I, I just recently took, before the school year got out, I, I took my uh, little kindergartner to her elementary school. And it's not the first time that I've taken her or picked her up or anything like that, but you notice the buzz in, buzz out. So you have the security door that's put into place that will separate any visitor, anybody, uh, friend or foe coming into the school right. to where someone gets eyes on them. And this particular day, my daughter had treats for her class. And so we went a little early so that I could help carry the treats in. But as we were going through, it was the first time all year. And it was only a week before school got out. Door was propped open and it bugged me. And it bugged me because of the law enforcement mentality. Right. And regardless of whether we please don't get lax with my child at the end of a school year. The only reason that I, I bring that up is because it actually played part in, in this incident as well. Right. I don't think even our teachers have the mentality that this could happen. So, uh, so just touch on that. So, uh, so normally most of these doors are open because of kids just entering the building, right? It's generally if it's before school. Um, so it allows them to be able to enter the building um, without somebody having to buzz in 500 kids all day long, you know, or for, to try to get them in. But um, again, is it manned? Uh, do, uh, does our district or should schools, I, let, let me pose it as a nationwide, should we be posting people when those doors are propped open? Absolutely. In and out? Absolutely. They should be. Um, whether again, now, it, now you've got to take into account is it a security guard is it an armed security guard or is it somebody just somebody who's able to visually see their kids see the kids come in hey 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 ho you need to check in at the office you know hey who are you you know oh you're so-and-so's dad please check in at the office so that we know that you're here to drop off treats you know whatever it is that type of stuff um, and being able to do that. So I know a lot of our SROs are out um, there. They're, you know, before the school day starts. So as those doors are open, they are there, um, either in the building or there right at the front watching those uh, those kids being dropped off or people coming in and out. Um, so, but again, there are other, uh, unfortunately, sometimes there are other doors that have been opened, propped open by teachers, kids, whatever, you know, around the, the building, or it's just access points into the building for kids, right? Because if you have your your bike rack is on one side of your school, um, you know, inconven- is convenience, do you just open that door and just allow those kids to come in through that closest door? Or do you funnel them all the way around the front of, of the building and and make them I'm not in. a logistics guy, right. but I, I would assume we should probably have some people on that. Right. You know what I mean? no matter what the school district is. And I thought a lot about this, uh, this episode before we all got together. And I, I wanted to bring uh, Jared and Chris in with Cam and I, because I, I truly believe this isn't just a four heads thinking type situation. We can talk about the timeline, which we have. We can talk about the experience that we've had with training. All the thinking that I've done leading up to this episode, I, Truly in my heart believe that we have failed our kids. And we can go all the way back to 
Columbine and everything that's happened with school shooting after school shooting after school shooting. And as uh, critical thinking adults within this nation, here's the part that I have a really tough time with. Like clockwork, anytime a major incident like this happens, whether it be what happened over in Buffalo or Uvalde, as adults, we tend to choose to turn it into a political thing. It's what our nation is like turned into. Instead of coming up with a, a solution, we have politicians that, that don't even know what to say. Shooting after shooting after shooting, they, they get up in front of the mic and say, there's going to be time for discussion. But right now it's time for grieving. And everybody's getting sick of it. I have friends on social media who have, uh, you can almost hear the tears as they're writing their post and saying, I'm so fed up. I, don't, I, I was able to hold and rock my child tonight, but these people were not able to hold and rock theirs. And it seems like it's a rinse and repeat. And the problem is you have some people that are saying, look, it's not the gun's fault. And then you have other people that are attacking the Second Amendment. But the problem is none of this gets to a point where we are coming up with solutions. And the reason that I asked the questions that I asked to you and the reason that it kind of irked me when I went to go uh, take my, my daughter is I want that security at the school. And my question to anybody that wants to counter it and, and blame it on the um, size of the magazine or the assault rifles, the high-powered rifles, and, and blame it on these, my true, honest question to any individual that wants to blame it on the Second Amendment, because I have my personal feelings with it, but those who are counters and saying, look, we, have, we need more gun laws. I, my, my true, sincere, let's come to the table and let's talk about this question to them, is do you think that stricter gun laws are going to stop this incident from occurring? Do you think that taking away uh, magazines that hold more rounds, is it going to stop these types of incidents from happening within the school? How many laws do we have to put into place? Let me, and again, follow me here. We have laws against homicide. We have laws against theft. We have laws against assault, criminal mischief. Let's take DUI just off. Enlighten me here. In the United States, one person dies from a DUI every 50 seconds. Every 50 seconds. Are we going to attack alcohol again? Are we going to attack cars? I think we're doing a disservice by coming to this always, always back to the Second Amendment. Saying how, how, how many children or how many people have to die before we come up with a solution. My question to all of us, if you've thought about it as well, I personally believe that we have to put action in place right now to do our very best to prevent future. And, and the only thing that I can think of, because how long do you think it's going to take to remove all rifles? For anyone that thinks that we're going to abolish the Second Amendment or abolish these high magazine assault rifles, how long do you think it's going to be before those are off the street? I'm going to tell you they will never be off the street it's because there's happen. a black market. For these weapons, when we do drug busts, what do we find? Guns everywhere. Let's do something now. You can't tell me as a nation and as leaders and critical thinking adults that we can't come up with a better way to secure our schools now. 
The problem is, is you have people that are going to push back and say, I don't want my kid to go to school and feel like they're in a prison. Right. I don't want my kid to go through a metal detector. Let's all rewind. You remember how easy it was to fly once upon a time? Mm. Remember you could show up like, I don't know, five minutes before your flight <laughs> and you run and say, hold that door. Can you do that now? You remember all the beef that people used to throw out and, and how much anger they had and saying, this is infringing upon my rights to fly, that I have to wait in line. I have to show up at the airport for two hours. I'm saying, and I'm proposing that we come together and we start putting forth our money, our resources, a committee. I don't care, a coalition. I don't care what President Biden decides to do, but it needs to take action now to secure our schools. Secure it like TNA, or TSA. Lock it down like TSA. You know what I mean? Well, in all honesty, the way that you 100% have to, to, I mean, if you're really going to look at like prevention from these ever happening again, you've got to, it's going to be heavily manpowered. Right, heavily funded, um, because if you really want to, you know, outside of building schools that uh, are, you know, they're very much built like Fort Knox, right? They're they mm. are very much locked down um, once those kids are entered the building, right? Yes, you can do that, but again, you're talking about doing that in the future, right? And you're talking about manpower. We yes. need more manpower. So how do you and because I mean, if you look at a, a TSA, I mean, you look at something like that manpower you have everywhere yeah you have 20 people and cops and dogs just they're doing that so you're looking now so now what does it look like what does that look like at the end does everybody come through a a fenced off area you know is that that area being patrolled by multiple people you know all of that stuff so again the the president biden recently came out and he said use the money that the federal government gave you just recently, I should have I should have saved the article. I will look it up. We will visit if it's an issue for any of our listeners in the future. But he recently came out and said, use the money that we gave you as a federal government for COVID for more law enforcement. We typically only have one SRO. Some schools may have a couple yeah. or more, depending on the high crime area, nationwide, right. things like that. We just sent over 50, what, 54, 55, $56 billion to Ukraine. Right. To fight a war that we have not chosen in. not to be in. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen some of the money that our government wastes on things? It's like, hey, what type of rock on Mars is this? What I'm saying is what is important right now? And if we're all up in arms and saying, look, these are our kids. They have a right to go feel safe and learn. We should be investing in our teachers. We should be investing in our school and the security of these schools. I don't care if my kid, it looks like my kid's school is a prison as long as they come home to me at the end of the day. Right. But again, you've got a, the, the flip side of that is there is a pretty big movement out there that doesn't want SROs in schools. I know. So how do we combat that, right? Yeah, you, I, I want the, all the safety in the world. But don't be involved in my kids I know. if they've they've right. done anything wrong. Don't hold my kid accountable for their actions in if they're you know if they're doing something criminal inside that school building. So people like, are going to have to choose what they put above. I mean, is it your left foot that's going to go first or your right foot? I don't think we need you know? to like think too crazy about this, right? So schools specifically, 
this is no different than any other crime as far as criminals look for easy targets, Absolutely. soft targets, right? Elementary schools, there's not going to be an SRO there because what's an SRO? And if we haven't specified school resource officer, a cop that works at a school, you know, there's a lot they do, but we don't need to get into all that. But that's what it stands for when we keep saying SRO. Um, there's typically not going to be one at an elementary school. Um, you know, there's a lot that they have to do with middle school and up um, with bullying, with crime, with just stuff that they got to deal with that you don't typically see juvenile in crime, juvenile Usually, problems. Yeah. One will go over there and deal with the issues that come up. Anyways, come the end of the day, it's a soft target, right? Elementary school, fairly soft target, which is why these criminals are going there. It's no different than a criminal. Are they going to go into the Tesla that's locked with cameras all over it? Or are they going to go into the Honda Civic with the window down to vehicle bird? They're going to try to go to the soft, soft target, right? I also think it's 2022. So let's think a little bit more with the technology we have. So we've talked about in and out type of stuff of classrooms and stuff. What if we get like, I don't know, just off top, top of my head, like magnetic door locks. Um, now, it would be a little bit for servers, but if every kid had their fingerprint in there, you know, you go to these places where they have fingerprints on everything and it pretty, pretty large databases and it works pretty flawless. So kids got to go from the outbuilding shop to the office for some reason. They can scan their finger, but then in between classes, it's just unlocked. So kids come and go type thing, but then it locks back and then they can see all the doors are closed and secured. If one's propped open, that's something I've thought of. Um, are teachers allowed to have guns? Absolutely. They are. So, and that's another thing I've thought about. And if parents are concerned within, within our, and that, that's something that's probably not. No, I don't think it's nationwide. nationwide. Yeah, I don't it, know that it is nationwide. It's got to be approved by the district. Um, yeah, some districts won't allow it. Some uh, districts do. Uh, policies vary. So I guess I'm, I, when I say I, I'm speaking just for our right. district, our district policy allows for that's teachers to option, right? carry concealed. Yes. It is an option. And, and for yeah. people who are very not, they don't want their kids around guns and stuff, there could be ways where they put them in the safe, and there can be fail safes in there. Again, it's 2022 where if the school's in lockdown, then the safe now the teacher can gain access to that said firearm or um, in a different circumstance, they can, you know, gain access, they can request. And then it's like a two person verification. So they're not worried about a student getting behind the desk and finding a way to unlock the safe. There's just ways we just need to start thinking we, about it. We have ways. And, and that's the point of me bringing all of that up. I say lock it down like TSA. I'm mentioning things that are going to cost the nation money. I think the, and I think technology wise going off of what cam technology wise, you have a, there's a ton of stuff that is available to us now. Sent door sensors, window sensors, Just make it right? a hard target. Right. They don't want to go there. Make it extremely hard and, and, and beef up your law enforcement. If this look, take a survey nationwide. I don't really care what to the powers that make these decisions within uh, cities, school districts, uh, your, all the state level, federal level, if you go all the way down to every parent who has a child in school, you think that they would vote against not putting money into the safety of these schools? And here, again, I wanted to bring this up because I'm sick and tired of seeing it on social media. I'm, I'm tired of this, this blue and red going back and forth, but we, we're not coming up with anything worthwhile that is protecting for the next. 
And we know that it's not going to stop unless we make it a very difficult target. So are you talking officer or are you talking like uh, armed security? Whether you beef up armed security, whether you beef, uh, beef up, and obviously training is going to be huge. With well, because like Jared's saying, there's a big push for people to remove SROs, but there's also a huge deficit of amount of officers we have available anyways. Right. And right. so I think that's where we have to start thinking more outside yeah, the box. Because you're, you're, like I said, because if we were, we would almost just, if we added an, uh, a school resource officer to every elementary just within our our city, uh, we would triple the number of, of school officers that we have currently. So and we're already double digits now. So you're looking, you're probably looking somewhere in the, 40-ish range, you know. Yeah, like these say. things are not going to be cheap. And, and that's what, going back to what I just mentioned in terms of the money that we're just throwing out to Ukraine, right? For whatever political reason or whatever uh, interest or resource our government has within that war, but not getting involved, there's always going to be something that's going to have a dollar sign associated with it, right? And that's why I brought it up and, and said, look, we have an obligation to go to the individuals that we have elected into those uh, positions and say, find a way. This is what the people want. Find a way. Go, look anything up that has to do with Uvalde and, and look at the comments and tell me that people aren't fed up with this. And we do have a mental health discussion. We do have a problem within homes. We do have a social media bullying, bullying problem. I have no doubt that this individual was socially awkward. I have no doubt that this individual experienced bully. These are all uh, rinse and repeat discussions that I think we're past that. I think at what point do we look at it and say, here's what we can do. It's going to cost a ton, but here's what we can do. And at what point do we stop spending money on stupid things and start putting it toward our children? Kill two birds with one stone. Uh, former military. There's a big push for for that. That's out there for veterans, experienced veterans that can come back and they can just do, it'd be armed security. It wouldn't be. For sure. And I think that might help people too because they're not there trying to, you know, yoke your kid up for bullying another kid or assaulting another kid or something. They're just 100% there as security. Mm -hmm. um, you see uh, the social media post of the, uh, the individual that was standing in front of his child's school after the Uvalde situation. It's, it's going around mm -hmm. social media. Veteran. He's a veteran. And he, he, he didn't talk about um, when, he, when he was interviewed as to why he was standing in front of the, by the way, two days. He stood for the last two days of school. And, and yes, his wife worked there, my understanding is, and he definitely had a kid there. But he said, I have training. He says, I'm not armed. He went and got permission from the school. He went and got, which they had to get permission from the school district. And he said, all I want to do is just stand. Because he did not want the same thing happen. This is nationwide. I, there's an overwhelming push. What can we come up with to protect our kids? And, and Cam, I think that's, I've actually heard that in the past. And I, I whether they want the badge there, right? maybe we can do the, two birds, one stone type thing and appease everyone by giving the option of armed security for individuals that are highly trained. To but again, I think you do a combination of both uh, uh, in some form or fashion, but how do we, how do we really secure these 
buildings because the technology is there, right? I see it in, in right. our buildings right now. The technology is there. The, some, the, some of the, the Elon challenges Musk that is I sending run, people to outer space. Yeah, the challenges I, I, you know. that I see is, is, is do, do we really, uh, this is, this is inconvenient. This is, you know, and those are some of the, the challenges that I face, you know, when I work with the school district. Now, our school district works well with us, right? But they also don't answer to us, right? They don't right. They answer to our state school board and all of those things and, and other powers besides the local law enforcement. So it's a give and take and it's a balance. And when, you know, when we come to them with security issues that we see, uh, for the most part, a lot of them are great and how can we make this work? You know, how can we have a key on site that's accessible to our law enforcement officials if they have to come? Right? I see what you did there. We went full circle. Yeah. I mean, see, we, I didn't it, even have to ask. No, you. no. See, like and, and that's it. the thing is that's those are the conversations that we have. And when we have them, uh, we're able to work through solutions, hopefully solutions. Right now, I'm not going to sit there and say that it's going to happen, but there's a high likelihood that it will happen. And we just keep pushing and, and keep coming up with ideas because sometimes some of the ideas that we've had have failed, right? They, yeah. They're not great. I, you know, they, they were great on the onset, but in action, they, they weren't great. So we had right. to come back, scrap it, re, revisit the table and, and come up with something. But again, how do we make it accessible for if the worst possible thing in the world, how can we get our officers there to stop that killing as quickly as possible, resolve that issue and take so, care of the situation. And again, um, I, I, I didn't bring that up. People are frustrated and, and it's easy to look at the, the guns, right? And right. again, going full circle back uh, to my friends who um, believe that there should be some more restrictions and laws and, and uh, restrictions on the second amendment. I'm not, I'm not hating on the idea. It's a sincere question that I brought up and this all comes full circle. It's going to cost a lot of money, but again, from a law enforcement standpoint and thinking through these things, uh, doing away and, and stricter gun laws is not, it's not going to stop this issue and it's going to continue and evil will find a way and more mass, whatever is going to occur. It's a copycat nation. Uh, evil is there. We can talk about the mental health issues. We can talk about the bullying on social media. It's relentless. It's daily. Our kids deal with it. Um, what can we do now? Which is why I brought that up. The only thing that I can think of that we have the technology for, that we know that there's money out there somewhere. It's got to be a federal thing because really when you, talk, when you look at a situation like Uvalde, they're not going to be a Chicago. They're not going to be a Baltimore, a Phoenix, an L.A. They're not going to have that type of state money, local money, to put toward what they need, right. which means this needs to be a federal push, and the states need to have money that can be uh, allocated out to all these smaller schools so that we can secure them. And it, this, is a, this is about security, right. and we need to turn it into security. We are very good at making sure that other nations don't attack our nation. We're actually very, very good at security. And again, lock it down like TSA, right? Right. That's what I keep saying, but we can do it. It's going to cost a dime or two or three. But at what point do we start holding our politicians uh, accountable and saying, all this crap that you guys keep spending money for, how about we put it toward our children first? That's my two cents. Well, I think one of the things too is I know that some of the, just in looking at uh, some of the timeline uh, pre this uh, Uvalde incident, right? 
the social media posts and those types of things, those are always difficult then because I've had my fair share, right? I mean, we, we deal with it on a fairly regular basis, right? You would be floored if you actually knew how often we deal with some kids saying, well, I'll just show up tomorrow with a gun and shoot up to school. Mm. So Flag not, not, not to make you worried, but I mean, it's, it's very regular and it's a, it's, sure. it's the easiest way to cause panic, to cause, right. And then Get we attention. start, and then we start, yeah. and then yeah. we start in on, uh, you know, interviewing these kids and, and these, these young people and figuring out what it is. And they're like, Oh, it was just a joke and all that. But my question is, and this is the, is it's, when we deal with it on the front end um, or we don't deal with it on the front end because a, it's not a crime. Right. So yeah, we're going to monitor the situation, right. Those types of things. But again, we don't ha- we may not have access to everything that, uh, that goes on, on, on a young person's social media, and what they say. And we don't, but you, here's the crazy thing. You do, you look back to the Patriot Act and every, all the scrutiny that went to the Patriot Act about what, the U.S. government can get without a warrant, right? And flagging people, it seems like we have to start hitting upon keywords like uh, ooh, domestic terrorism. Once we start talking about domestic terrorism or terrorism in general, boom, the Patriot Act comes in, and all of a sudden we don't need the warrants and, and all these things that are flagged. That, hey, I'm going to go shoot up a school. Right now, they start tracking and saying where are these people purchasing X, Y, and Z. And does it look like they are building in an artillery? Right. And is there a probability that this individual could go haywire in the future? This is the conversation. Like I said, every citizen within this country is going to have to say, do I put my left foot forward first or do I put my right foot forward? What is going to be most important to you? And what are you going to say? That's violating rights. That's not violating rights. That's safety. Right. You know? Because these are, these are tough. These are tough situations to... Again, because we're behind the A-ball on, on all of them, we have to figure out what's, right, is there something ahead of time, right? My, it's my, my biggest fear, right, is do we miss something, right, with mm. somebody? Do we miss it um, that we should have known, that we should have seen, um, you know, outside of that, right? Obviously, my, my, my one biggest fear is obviously an actual incident happening at, at one of our buildings. But, right, right. but before that is, are we missing something? Are we even though we talked to, to Billy, right. Do we need to do more follow up to Billy? Do we need to do a home visit? Do we need to visit with his parents? And do we need to, you know, take all of this action that, uh, in some cases, parents see that they're pretty pissed about that follow up that comes with that. And so those are, again, those are, it's a, it's a, as you say, which foot are you going to put forward? Yeah. Do you want us to be involved? Do you want us to get to the root of it. If it's a nothing, then great. It's a nothing. Right. Right. But what it's only a nothing until it turns into something. And when that something happens and it's bad, then, then where do you land on it? Absolutely. I think we've hit it. I I mean, unless you guys have some different ideas as to uh, solving the world's problems. Right. But these are the, I, I, I thought long and hard about this, and, and honestly, I, I don't know what else to do except secure it up. Secure it up is going to cost some money. Um, and I hope that others agree with that because that's the, that's the beginning of the push. And that's the beginning where we, we start really pushing our, our politicians to start implementing what needs to be implemented and what's important now. And uh, 
I'm tired of seeing these things. Um, just devastating. But I'd agree, though, it has to come from a, a federal, right? Because a lot of these standards for schools should be set, right? Absolutely. And, and yeah. that's going to come from that. If you're going to tell people that this is what you have to do, then you need to make that the standard for all schools that are currently um, built and then all schools, new schools that are going to be built in the future and just go look. Even the one-horse towns. Yep, one-horse towns where you've got like a graduating class of 15. We have to be able to, to give money there. You know what I mean? We do. We, we have to be able to give money to everybody. This is a right Yes. to be able to go and learn. This is our future. These are our kids that are supposed to be learning what they should to do it better than what we did. And how can we do that? And how can we sit back and, and time after time after time as adults, we just get on social media and start arguing right. about red and blue stuff instead of coming up with action. And because it's easy when you're a, a school district of, you know, 75,000 or 100,000 students and populations, millions or over the millions. But what do you do if you've got a, a school that the, the entire district's population is 40, you know, and right. that's from kindergarten all the way through? I think technology... Make it a hard target. Yes, sir. I think that's the easiest way. Yes, sir. At least the first way. There might be avenues like you brought up that can get it going too, but. Yes, sir. And I, yes, sir. I agree. I, I think that's a, it's a good start in helping us to continue to clear these corners.